listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a real blessing to be here with you all. I am excited to be here. I'm always excited to fellowship with the, the saints at, at Crosspoint. It really is a joy, and this morning, Tyler was praying um, just before the service and thanking the Lord for the little glimpse of heaven that we can have as we worship together from every nation and, and every tongue, and it really is an encouragement to my soul. I know it's about um, 6 p.m. in um, Abu Dhabi at the moment, and I know there are some of our members that are, are watching online, so welcome. <laughs> But thank you, everybody, for your kind hospitality and the way that you have loved us over the years, the way that you have served us and the way that you have prayed for us. We really do appreciate your partnership in the gospel. And it's a real privilege for me to be here and to share the word with you this morning. Um, the message I'll be preaching to you today, I preached at our church in Abu Dhabi from Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this was a sermon that I got a lot of positive response from that seemed to help a lot of people in my congregation that were struggling with the, the question of, of purpose. And I think that is a very important thing in this day and time because all around us people are desperately searching for, for purpose in life and very often they are looking for it in unhelpful places. You know, in Abu Dhabi people come um, normally for two or three years we have a very transient community, people that are, are there just for a short time and then they leave. But often the purpose for, for the Lord bringing them there is often overlooked. And people think they are there just to make some money. They've got a job and they've got a, a good paying position. And they're there just to make some money for a few years and then leave and go back to their, to their hometown. So this has been an important, an important message to help people understand that God has a far greater purpose for us than just... And just making money or just making friends. And the purpose that the Lord has for us is intertwined with His glory. And it's all about the connection that we have through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you would turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon this morning is Lights in the World. Uh, there are three points. My first point is... Work out your own salvation, and that's in verse 12 and verse 13. My second point is live a blameless testimony. We see that in verse 14 and 16. And then my third point is rejoice in sacrificial service. And I hope and trust that as we study God's Word together this morning, you will be blessed by this portion of Scripture. If you would stand with me this morning as we read God's Word in respect, out of respect to it, uh, Philippians chapter 2. We will read from verse 12 to verse 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation 
among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have of opening your word this morning. We know there are millions of people around the world who are sitting under your word today. And we join our hearts with them in praising you and worshiping you. But we also know, Lord, there are people around the world who don't have the privilege of opening the scriptures. Many people who don't have the joy of gathering together because of persecution. Lord, we pray that you help us not to take that for granted today. We know your word is inspired. We know it is profitable for our instruction and our training in righteousness. And we ask, please, Lord, train us this morning. Teach us. Grant us repentance where repentance is needed. And comfort those today. They need to be comforted. But we ask for your help. We pray that the Spirit, Lord, would teach us. And I pray that he would help me communicate Christ effectively this morning. I ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I understand President John F. Kennedy said in a speech in May 1961, he said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. This was a warning against complacency. I thought of this quote while I was watching a video from the ministry Answers in Genesis. And the video was hosted by a Christian panel discussing recent news around the world. One of the, the news articles said that in, in April 2023, the United Nations put together a document with legal recommendations attempting to normalize pedophilia. This document basically says that children have the right and the capacity to make sexual decisions of their own. And this panel went on to discuss and to expose the evil of this. And of course, the ramifications this wicked agenda is, is having on our modern-day sexualized society. And while I was enraged and I was saddened at the same time hearing this news, I was, I was grateful for ministries like Answers in Genesis that are are willing to expose the darkness by shining the light of the gospel on, on modern-day thinking, our corrupt modern-day thinking. Another gospel thinker was John Stott. He was a British theologian. And in 2005, in Time magazine, he was ranked among the 100 most influential people in the world. And in one of his visits to the United States, he said the following in a sermon. He said, you know, that you know what your own country is like. I'm a visitor, and I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't presume to speak about America, but I know what Great Britain is like. I know something about the, the growing dishonesty, the corruption, the immorality, the violence, the pornography, the diminishing respect for human life, and the increase in abortion. Whose fault is it? Well, let me put it like this. If the house is dark at night, there is no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If meat goes bad, there is no sense in blaming the meat. 
That is what happens when the bacteria are allowed to breed unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the salt? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night or stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen humanity is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? The Philippian church that we're going to look at this morning existed in a fallen human society where, where evil was unrestrained and unchecked. And truth be told, things have not changed much since then and will not change much until the return of Christ. We live in a fallen human society where human evil is unrestrained and unfortunately unchecked. And the only necessary thing for the triumph of evil is for the church to hide their lamps under a bushel. And that is why it's so important that as Christians, as, as children of God, our testimony should bring glory to God. And when people look at our lives as Christians, they should praise and exalt our God whom they see shining through us. And Paul's general exhortation here for how the gospel affects our conduct is my first point, which we see in verse 12 to verse 13 how we are to work out our salvation. Look at the Scriptures with me in your Bibles there in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So I've started with a text that begins with the word, therefore. And I was always taught that when you see the word, therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. Why is the author saying, therefore? And usually the answer to that is pointing us back to the portion that he's going to be speaking about. He's referring to a section that he's already spoken about, he's already explained he is about to, to give an exhortation that is directly tied to and based on, on what he has just explained. And that is, in fact, the case here with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has started the whole center section of this message, which runs from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, right through to chapter 2, verse 18. And it is a, it's a huge exhortation. And the, exhorta the exhortation is, is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, you are to live a life that fits the gospel. You are to live a life that fits the gospel. And the whole center section of this letter has to do with this great theme, the call to holy living, the call to holy conduct, the call to become more like Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, or which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to illustrate the mind of Christ. Um, he talks about Jesus Christ, who was a, was a humble, obedient servant. A humble, obedient servant who served us, who displayed his humiliation who endured for us even death on a cross. And his exaltation when he was given the name which is above every other name. 
and who now sits at the right hand of God the Father on high, ruling the world by His Word and Spirit. So the previous passage from verse 5 to 11, Paul paints this picture of, of Jesus' humble, obedient servant in His humiliation and exaltation. And then here in verse 12, He says, Therefore, therefore, He's about to tell us to live our Christian lives in in light of the supreme example that He has just given to us, in light of the, the humble, obedient service that Christ displayed in His humility and in His exaltation. But just a little bit of background first about the Philippian church. This church was probably Paul's favorite church. It was the first church that he had planted in Europe, And he had proclaimed the gospel to them, and they responded wonderfully to the good news of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. The Philippian church was generally a a healthy church when Paul wrote to them. Remember, he was imprisoned in Rome during this time. But there were traces of conflict, which you you see in chapter 4. You see uh, two ladies by the name of Iodia and Syntyche, and there was some disunity and some mumbling and grumbling and complaining that was going on. Um, and that problem, that, that problem con- continues to be addressed by Paul later on. But now that problems were starting to arise in the Philippian church, Paul urges them to continue in their obedience. Even though he wasn't there with them, even though he was absent from them, he knew them, he loved them, And he pleaded with them to remember their first love, remember their obedience to Christ. But the question is, what exactly were these Philippian believers to do? And how were they to conduct their lives in in gospel obedience? And Paul really spells it out for us in our passage this morning. He says to them in verse 12 that they are to work out their own salvation. They are to work out their own salvation. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in in all of Scripture. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. Many people believe that that God saves us when we do our part. God does His part and we do our part. There's like a 50-50 partnership. Some people believe that. Because Paul says here, work out your own salvation. And that is not what Paul is saying. That is not what this verse means. We need to read this this verse in context to understand the meaning of what Paul is saying. We need to remember, God is the one who saves us while we are dead in our sins. There's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. And this is where context is so important. We see in verse 13, the scripture tells us that the gospel saves us because of what God has done for us. What God has done in us. Context. And Paul is appealing for unity that begins in chapter 1, verse 27, and runs through chapter 2, verse 18. He's appealing to those who already are in faith, who have already put their faith in Christ. Also, all the words here are are plurals in, in the Greek. Paul is not telling individual Christians to individually work out their personal salvation. Rather, he's appealing to the church. He's appealing to the church. 
And looking at the context, Paul is appealing to those who have already put their faith in Christ. Commentator James Montgomery Boyce, he clarifies for us when, when he says, this verse does not say, work for your salvation or, or work toward your salvation or work at your salvation. It says, work out your salvation. And no one can work his salvation out unless God has already worked it in. I think another way to understand this clause is to say that we are to live out our salvation. And now based on the example of humility that we've seen in, in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying to the church, live out your salvation. There are practical implications here for the church, for the gospel which they profess to believe in their relationships with one another. Specifically, and Paul states the second part of this general exhortation as God's work in verse 13, where, where he writes, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So please be clear this morning, Paul is not teaching that my work plus God's work gives me salvation. Salvation is all of God, okay? Salvation is all of God. And one commentator put it this way, God makes us do what He pleases by making us desire what we might not desire. God gives us new desires when we put our faith in His Son. The gospel affects our conduct. It has to affect our conduct. Because of what God has done, we are now enabled to live out our salvation for the good pleasure of God. We were never able to do that before. We were slaves in our sin. But now we're saved. We've been chosen by God. We're saved because God willed us to save us. And He has saved us for a purpose. He has saved us for a purpose. And that leads to my next point in verse 14 to verse 16. We are to live a blameless testimony. We are to live a blameless testimony. So after the Philippians... After Paul speaks to the Philippians and tells them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, he then makes specific application for the Philippians and for us by telling us to do all things without grumbling and disputing. So in the context, remember, he is especially exhorting us against grumbling and disputing against one another in the church because he has been urging us to adopt the example of Jesus, the humble, self-sacrificing, serving ways of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverse, some translations say perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul here refers to Christians as children of God. And this is a specific Old Testament passage that I believe Paul has in his mind here as he writes to the Philippian church. And I think it's important for me to show you this. So please turn with me in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. 
And look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. This is the same language that Paul is using to write to the Philippian church. And here in Deuteronomy, we have this song of Moses. Moses is the author of this, of this passage. Moses is, in this passage, referring to the grumbling and the, the unbelief of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And here Paul is turning that around, and he says that, the church, we are God's children. We are living in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, and we need to be careful about grumbling and disputing as the Israelites did in the Old Testament, as the Israelites did in the, the wilderness. Because God's people are supposed to shine forth in this dark world as lights. Because God's people are to be holding up the word of life to a world that is stuck in darkness. And when you read the book of Exodus, again authored by Moses, you see more of this, of this um, t context, you see more of this history. You see how God delivered Israel from, from Egypt in a, in a very powerful way. Remember, he sent plagues, then he led Israel to the to the edge of the, the Red Sea, and he, he brought Pharaoh's army on their hills. And he miraculously parted the sea so that Israel could march through onto dry ground and then brought the sea back on top of the Egyptian army. And then after this mighty demonstration of God's power and, and of his care for his chosen people, we read next that they, they come to a place, three days' journey into the wilderness, where there's no water. We see that in Exodus 15. And coming right on the hills of this mighty victory, and just after the song of Moses celebrating that victory in Exodus 15, when you read about their lack of water, you think, so what? God who just parted the Red Sea can provide water for these Israelites. But instead, we read in Exodus 15, 24, the people grumbled at Moses. And then we read in chapter 16 how they grumbled because there was no food. So the Lord provided manna from heaven. And then they grumble because there's no meat. So the Lord provides quail for them. And then they run out of water again and, and they grumble again in chapter 17. And the Lord again provides water for them. But in their grumbling against Moses and their disputing with him, they're really grumbling against their anointed leader. They're grumbling against the Lord himself. They're discontent. And this grumbling was a, was a terrible testimony to the nations around them that were watching them. That were watching the children of God. The God who had provided a mighty deliverance for Israel would not also provide for their basic needs. Why were they grumbling and why were they complaining? It reflected badly 
on God's care, on His love and His power to provide. And the pagan nations around them who were looking for a reason to justify their rebellion against the living God would scoff at God, would mock God when they heard the children of Israel grumbling and complaining. And that's Paul's point in our text here in Philippians. We, the church of the living God, the church of God lives in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation that refuses to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a world marked by grumbling and complaining. And in the original temptation, remember back in Genesis, Satan got Eve to, to doubt the goodness of God, and, and ever since, he seeks to do the same. That is his strategy. And people will not trust in a God whose goodness is in question. Can I say that again? People will not trust in a God whose goodness is in question. If we are God's children who've been delivered from bondage to sin by God's mighty salvation through His death and His resurrection, if we have seen His power and we get into a wilderness situation, we get into a trial where we, where we run out of some basic resources and we don't have a clue where it's going to come from, it's in that situation it's in that wilderness situation where our lights need to shine. It's here that the gospel must affect our conduct. It's here that we get to display to the world our dependence on our mighty God. Remember in John chapter 8, when Jesus entered a group of uh, when Jesus encountered a, a group of Jewish people who were opposing his teaching, they said to him, We are of our father Abraham. And you remember what Jesus said to them? He said to them, No, no, you're not. You are of your father, the devil, because you do the deeds of your father, and you're not doing the deeds of, of my heavenly father, the God of the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You are doing the deeds of the devil. The Apostle Paul is saying to these Philippians, be the children of God. Be the children of God. Show the world whose children you are. Show whose father is yours by the way that you live. In other words, Paul is saying your life is to be a witness to the world. But not just your life individually. He's talking to the church corporately here. The way that you relate to one another. The way that you are mutually accountable to one another. The way that you express and experience the grace of God in your lives together as a congregation. That is a witness to the world who is watching you. I really believe that there is a, a mission focus here that we can so easily overlook. I thank God for the, the missional focus that, that Crosspoint has. I thank God for the, the partnership in the gospel with Crosspoint over all these years. 
in India, as well as in South Africa, as, as well as in the UAE. Abraham was telling me yesterday that he had just come back from a, a ministry in, in Uganda with a team from, from Crosspoint. And Kerry and I are staying at the, the missions house. And there are all these, these pictures of missionaries that, that have been blessed by the ministry of Crosspoint. It's so, so wonderful to, to see. Praise the Lord for that. Now, missions programs are, are important. Missions partnerships are important. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, we see the heartbeat of, of world missions where Jesus tells us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But my question to you today, Crosspoint, my question to you today, if we are grumbling and complaining or disputing amongst ourselves like the Israelites did here at home in our own congregations, how effective are we going to be in shining our lights amongst the nations. If we are grumbling and sinfully questioning God in, in front of our children, in front of, in front of our spouse, or amongst our colleagues at work, or, or friends in school or college, are we not creating room for people to question God's goodness? In our discontent and our, our sinful questioning of God, how effective are we being in holding forth to the people of this world the word of life? How effective are we being in shining forth in this dark world? Remember, the unsaved world, just like the pagan nations around Israel, are looking for a, a reason. They're looking for an excuse to justify their rebellion against the living God. And Paul is telling us today, Church, let's not give it to them. Paul is saying to the Philippians that, that you are to do and to be what Israel was supposed to do and to be, but wasn't. And Paul is saying to us, Christians in your congregation, do what Israel didn't do. He started out by saying in verse 14, don't do what Israel did. But in verse 15, he's saying, do what Israel didn't do. They were supposed to be the children of God who, by their light, were to shine to the nations, the, the glory of God, so that they became a blessing to the nations and so that the, the nations would glorify God. But they didn't. Israel fa failed to do what God had called them to do in the wilderness. And Paul is saying, Christians, you be and do as a congregation what Israel failed to be and do. You be a light in the world. Show your sanctification in your living. Show your doctrine by your life. Let your sanctification, let your holiness, let your Christ-likeness, let your pursuit of godliness serve as a witness to the unbelievers that you work with. Let your life together testify to the reality of gospel grace. 
Philippians 2.15 sounds a lot like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, doesn't it? Remember, he said, let your light shine before men so they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Apostle Paul is saying, church, together, without grumbling, without questioning, without petty rivalry and, and disrespect towards your spiritual leaders that I've given to you, do what Israel didn't do. Be the children of God. Be the light to the world. I like what um, Ligon Duncan says about this passage. He, he writes, he says, Do you understand that God in the Bible tells us that His purpose is to one day sum up everything under the headship of Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. And do you know what God's strategy to do that is? Okay, here is the strategy. The church. The church is His strategy for doing that. He intends by gathering together men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation into His family, His house, His church, to bring all things into subjection to Jesus Christ. But do you know what His strategy for us living out a witness to the world is? It's the local church. It's this congregation living in biblical fidelity and faithfulness to the Bible, living together in mutual love and accountability, living out His gospel. This is His plan for witness to the world. That leads to my last point. We see in verse 17 and verse 18 that we are to rejoice in sacrificial service. And Paul writes there in verse 17, look there in your Bibles, if you would, with me. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And this image that Paul is painting for us, the, sacri the sacrificial image he is using here was a common practice both in, in pagan and Jewish sacrifices. A priest would offer a sacrifice and then later he would, he would pour wine on top of the, the burning animal. And of course that would send up smoke. And Paul is literally saying, I'm offering my life as a, as a sacrifice. I'm, I'm offering my life as a, as a sweet aroma to God. And then he says, in my sacrifice, I find joy. I rejoice. And he says, I rejoice in the sacrifice I'm making for you. And I urge you, rejoice in the same way. I hope you're noticing these these words that really oppose each other. We've got joy, we've got rejoicing, we've got grumbling, and we've got complaining. I hope you see the, the urgency, the tension here. Look at verse 18. He says, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying to us today, Church, you're going to make sacrifices. They're going to be required. Count others better than yourselves. Humble yourselves as Christ humbled himself. Make the necessary sacrifices. We need to stop grumbling and complaining and instead rejoice. Rejoice. That's how we live in a crooked and a perverse generation. 
We live humbly. We live holy. We proclaim the gospel joyfully, passionately. We shine our lights, fulfilling the purpose that God has given to his church. While we have the time that God has given to us. But let me conclude this this morning. Let me, let me try and bring this all together. You know, there's a song that we, we sing at New Life Church that's called Overcome. And I heard it for the first time in the UAE. And there is a line in that song that at first it, it made me cringe a little bit. I wasn't too sure of this song. And, and the line goes like this. It says, We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, everyone overcome. And it, it repeats itself four times. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, everyone overcome. And at first I thought that this meant that, that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb plus my own good works that, that I can testify about. And that, that syncretism, we've spoken about that already this, this morning. And we saw that, that we are not saved by our works. Our salvation is all of God. But, but later on, I realized that this phrase from the song is, in fact, biblical. This, this phrase is taken from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, which says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. In verse 10, the previous verse there in Revelation, Satan is described as the accuser and the deceiver of the believers. And this passage talks about a spiritual bat a battle that, that happened in heaven. In verse 10 is the beginning of a triumphant song, in fact. Christ wins the battle and Satan is cast out from his access to heaven. And verse 11 tells us that by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the believer's testimony, Satan was conquered. The blood of the Lamb emphasizes the death of Jesus, the substitutionary work of Jesus' death on the cross that paid for our sins. But the word of our testimony refers to the believer's belief in the gospel and their confidence in the power of Jesus Christ that enables them to stand secure, to stand secure in the face of Satan's accusations and Satan's lies. And the connection I'm trying to make here goes back to, to verse 15. That we would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus gave his blood on the cross so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. It is the work of of the devil to tempt us to fall into sin so that we will fail God and become alienated from Him and become useless. Our purpose is to display the glory of God to a world lost in darkness. Our purpose is to shine as lights. Our testimonies matter, folks. The devil wants to stop you from fulfilling this purpose. He wants to stop you from being this light. He wants to stop you from being a witness of the glory and the beauty of Christ. He wants to stop you from being a testimony of what God has done in you and through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
The devil wants to keep you quiet. And he wants to keep you having a powerful testimony. If you are a Christian, one of the reasons that the devil wants you to sin is to make you a bad testimony. Is to give the world around you a reason to reject Jesus Christ. And that is why it's so important that as Christians, as children of God, our testimonies need to bring glory to God. When people look at our lives as Christians, they should praise and exalt our God whom they see shining through us. The gospel must affect our conduct. Satan is an accuser and he is a deceiver. And we must overcome him with the word of our testimony. Satan is hell-bent on destroying the church. He breathes fiery accusations like a dragon and he hisses deception like a serpent. He is a destroyer. But the salvation and the power and the kingdom belong to God and to Christ our King. And we shall overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We live in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation that refuses to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We live in a, a post-Christian era. Let's not give the unbelievers around us any reason or excuse to justify their rebellion against the living God. In a book called The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How to Get It Back, authors Phil Cook and Jonathan Bock, they, they ask the following questions. Why did the early church succeed where we are failing? How did they transform the Western world in such a relatively short time? They did it because they did, they did it because they did things that baffled the Romans. The early church didn't picket, they didn't boycott, they didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in their abandoned babies. They helped their sick and wounded. They restored dignity to the slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. After a while, their actions so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about who these Christians were and who was the God that they represented. Can we say that about our church today, folks? I hope that's true. Remember, people won't trust in a God whose goodness is in question. The world needs to see us joyfully pouring out our lives in sacrificial service for our King. We prove ourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. When we stop complaining, yes, be humble, yes, be holy, yes, be a faithful testifier. Testimony to the gospel. Testify to the gospel. Yes, be joyful. But the main imperative here in our passage, folks, is stop complaining. Stop complaining about your boss. Stop complaining about the government. Stop complaining to God about your situation. You are who you are. You are where you are. And you are not to complain because this is where God has you. God is sovereign. He knows where you are, and He's put you there for a reason. Don't argue with God over His will. 
Don't argue with God over his purpose for your life. Moses says at the end of his song in Deuteronomy 32, I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. That's our God, folks. That is our God. Let's make sure when the unbelieving world looks at our lives as as believing Christians, let's make sure they see us praising and exalting the greatness of our God, a God of faithfulness whose work is perfect and his ways are just. Let's make sure we fulfill the purpose God has given to us as his church. Let's, let, let's live those lives without grumbling and complaining and doubting God's goodness. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this letter. We know that was written to the Philippians, but we know it was written for us. We know, Lord, we fall short especially in our contentment, and we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for that. Forgive us, Lord, for doubting your goodness. Forgive us, Lord, for for doubting your sovereign purpose over us as a people and as a church. Forgive us for our disunity and our grumbling and our disputing amongst ourselves, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, if we have turned people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Lord, if that is true. I pray, Lord, that you would take this word this morning and press it upon our hearts that we may be faithful witnesses, that we may be lights in the world for your glory. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. May we not waste a single day of our lives. May it count for your glory. And may we hear you say, when the time has come when we stand before you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.